Hi, Steve here. Thanks for visiting the Natural Curiosity Project. I got my flu shot last week, as I do every year around this time. As my doctor swabbed my arm, I thought back to all of those molecular biology and immunology and bacteriology classes I took while I was an undergrad. Pretty interesting stuff. When I got home, because I'm curious, I dug out a few of my old textbooks. Yeah, I know, more than 40 years later, and I still have textbooks as well as a few newer resources, and reminded myself about how the immune system works. It's actually a pretty amazing thing. Essentially what happens is that the vaccine trains my body's immune system to recognize a disease agent, a pathogen, and then respond to it by aggressively destroying it before it spreads throughout the body. These pathogens can be either bacteria or viruses. Now all pathogens have detectable compounds as part of their makeup called antigens. The antigens trigger an immune response in the host's body, which is the production of antibodies that swarm the invasive agent and kill it before it makes the host sick, me being the host. Think about the fire towers that we've all seen in national forests. A forest ranger stands up there with binoculars scanning the forest. If she sees smoke, she calls in firefighters to hopefully put it out before it spreads too far. The smoke is the antigen because it triggers the ranger to call in an air tanker to put out the fire. The plane is the antibody response. What's really interesting about this is that this whole process is sort of architectural. Antigens, which are typically proteins but can also be sugars, fats, and nucleic acids, are present on the surface of the pathogen. For example, we've all seen the photographs of the COVID virus taken with electron microscopes, basically a big ball covered with spikes. Well, those spikes are where the antigens live, and they're the point of contact between the virus and our lung tissue. What vaccines do is interfere with the ability of the antigen spike to bond with the lung tissue, thus preventing it from becoming a widespread infection. And the way vaccines do that is by triggering the production of antibodies which swarm the virus and prevent the spikes from sticking by bonding to them so they can't attach. Imagine wearing a gigantic pair of Arctic mittens and trying to pick up a dime. You get the point. So when I got my flu shot, what my doctor did was inject into my arm a solution that contains flu virus particles that have been killed. But the antigens are there and they trigger a mild antibody release, which trains my immune system to recognize the protein the next time it encounters it and then respond decisively so that I get, at worst, a mild case of flu. So... What researchers are doing today, I was about to say feverishly doing today, but that doesn't seem appropriate. Anyway, what they're doing today is designing a vaccine that will trigger the correct antibodies to be produced in our bodies that will then prevent the coronavirus, which is called a coronavirus because it has that crown of spikes all over it, from attaching itself to our lungs when we breathe it in and cause all those nasty things that it typically causes. Now, one more thing. There's a lot of talk about herd immunity, which is a real thing, but I want to make sure that people understand how that works. It's really an exercise in statistics. If enough people become immune to the virus, it doesn't mean that everybody magically becomes immune. It doesn't work that way. What it means is that if enough people are indeed immune because they've been vaccinated or they've caught the disease and are therefore resistant to it, then statistically there won't be enough hosts, that's us, to maintain a viable reservoir of the virus in the population and it will ultimately die out. It doesn't mean people won't still get sick, it just means that we can beat it back with statistics. 
Okay, with that explanation out of the way, let me tell you what I really wanted to talk about in this episode. Way back in episode 45, which was called Berserkly, Eat Your Peas, I talked about an experience I had when I was in a genetics class at Cal. They always brought in guest speakers to provide a variety of perspectives on whatever the subject was, and one of the people they invited was a guy who believed in eugenics, the massively discredited pseudoscience of genetic manipulation, to try to force the most desirable human traits to rise to the surface, thus supposedly purifying the species. You can see where this might go, and there's nothing good about it. Just to lighten the mood a bit, some of this goes on today with purebred dogs. They all look alike. They're as cute as they can be, but they're so inbred that they suffer from all kinds of medical problems and, we all know, are often dumber than a box of rocks. Anyway, back to the eugenics guy. We sat there and listened to him prattle on about his beliefs, and when he finished, we all applauded politely as he left the lecture hall. I remember looking over at the person sitting next to me, a friend of mine, and I said, well, that guy is a great double-A extra-large wackadoodle. Now let's go get some lunch. Neither of us agreed with his point of view. In fact, we found it offensive. But by listening to what he had to say and then comparing his message to what we believed to be true, we were able to dismiss his beliefs in favor of our own science-based beliefs, but of course not before considering what he had to say. I want to point out here that while this guy was a controversial member of the academic community, Nobody warned us that we might find what he had to say offensive. There were no trigger warnings. We weren't scarred for life by his beliefs that were contrary to our own. And you know why? Because of antibodies. I should probably explain that. As you've probably already figured out, I did my undergrad studies at UC Berkeley, where, as you can imagine, I was exposed to all kinds of weird ideas and thinking that I didn't agree with, some of them in the classroom, some while just walking around the campus. But I've always believed that knowledge is a kind of a virus. I learn something new. I tell a few people because I think it's interesting and good to know. They tell a few people. You see what happens. It avalanches. Ideas, in fact, all ideas, are like antigens. They're foreign bodies that try to attach themselves to a host and cause some kind of systemic reaction. Join my club, vote for this candidate, see this person is right and that one is wrong, buy this product because it's obviously better, and so on. But we have an immune system that triggers an antibody response to prevent certain antigens from attaching. Those antibodies include things like critical thinking skills and personal values. Is there a vaccine for this? Of course. Remember, the job of the vaccine is to teach our immune system to respond in a certain way when it detects something harmful. To do that, we inject a safe version of the virus into our bodies so that our immune systems can develop antibodies against it. That vaccine is called reading. It's called listening to podcasts. It's called talking to people, including people who disagree with your position. It's called listening to that contrarian position. After all, you might learn something. It's called deliberately exposing yourself to the invasive virus called different point of view so that you can determine whether it's healthy or harmful. Think about it. Biological viruses and bacteria enjoy the same freedom of expression that we do. They're free to try to infect the population with their point of view whenever they want. But we're free to reject their position through inoculation. The same is true of intellectual disease agents. People with differing perspectives, even those you may find repulsive, 
are free to try to infect us with their ideas. But the population is free to resist that infection also through inoculation and the production of intellectual antibodies. There will always be a few on the fringes who believe in radically different things than the bulk of the population under the bell curve. But the bulk of the population will reject their efforts to co-opt us. We call that herd immunity. Stay healthy, folks. Get your flu shots. And as always, thank you. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.